Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. This morning, uh, we're continuing our sermon series that we're calling Unstuck, where our longing for this season that we're in this and beyond is that we will get moving, we will get unstuck from patterns of thinking, behavior, attitudes, and interactions that aren't working, that we're stuck in. And part of the thesis of this whole series is that we will get unstuck as we begin to more fully integrate our emotionality with our spirituality. And this is needed because so often our outward activities for God don't get at the inner workings of our heart and soul. They don't get underneath what's going on and the emotional processes and the person that we are. And I just want to acknowledge that we're now in our third week of this, and this is hard. If you've been engaging this seriously in the self-reflection that is this personal journey, it's challenging. It's hard because it's hard to admit some of the things that we begin to uncover when we look at our true self. It's sometimes not very pretty. It's hard because it stirs up sometimes conversations that are difficult that we need to have with God, that we need to have with other people in our lives. It's hard because we just want to push through to overcome these challenges, but the invitation in the first part of this journey is to simply identify and then sit in the discomfort and the reality of our emotions. Rather than just pushing through and pushing through, we often just cover up, cover over, rather than allow Jesus to really meet us in the depths of our heart and our soul. And that's where we're going to begin to see movement and get unstuck. And so I just want to encourage you to stay the course, to be courageous, because this is challenging for me, and I know it's challenging for all of us as we engage this seriously. This morning, I just want to, I want to tell you that when I sit back and relax, which I'm just going to acknowledge is not something I'm particularly good at, a place where I'm actually stuck in my own life. But when I do, and I finally put my feet up on the coffee table, I will frequently mindlessly begin to flick my big toe and my pointer toe. Flick, 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 flick. And it drives my wife, Abby, crazy. And I don't even really know that it's happening. And one day I was on vacation actually at my grandmother's house and I was doing it. And she froze and she looked at me and said, you do it too? And I was totally confused at this moment because I, once again, was mindlessly doing it. And so I'm kind of looking at her in shock and she said, the toe thing. And now I'm a little embarrassed by it because she's noticed, and I, but I acknowledge it. And then she told me how her first husband, Don, used to do that. That's my dad's dad used to do the same thing. And then she told me how my dad would also do it. But what was shocking to her was when she saw my dad do it because my dad's father, Don, died when my dad was an infant. 
So he had never seen his father do it. He had never witnessed this behavior, and yet there he was doing it, and here I was doing it to three generations of toe flickers. I guess there's some sort of genetic component to toe flicking. I don't don't really understand it. But this illustrates the truth that we're going to be grappling with this morning. The truth about how deeply our past and particularly our families shape us, even when we're not aware of it. And the reality is many of us are stuck in these habits and behaviors and patterns and expectations that come from our past and from our families rather than God's intent for us. And what might it be like to begin to get unstuck from our past? So we're going to jump into this through 1 Kings chapter 22, and I'll invite you if you'd like to, you can follow along on the screen as we hear God's word for us this morning. Ahaziah, son of Ahab, became king of Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned over Israel two years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord because he followed the ways of his father and mother and of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who caused Israel to sin. He served and worshiped Baal and aroused the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, just as his father had done. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray as we move into this together. Heavenly Father, will you bless us? Bless us with your good and gentle, tender and loving presence as we seek to hear from you this morning through your word and respond as you would lead us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So this short passage, these three verses, come from a time way back in the history of God's people where they still had kings sitting on the throne. And Ahaziah is the son of Ahab, and he becomes king in this passage, but his tenure as king also ends in this passage. It was pretty quick, wasn't it? Just a couple of years But his reign was characterized with this very simple summary. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Why did he do evil? In what ways did he do evil? And we're given the answer even in these few verses. We're told he did evil in the eyes of the Lord because he walked in the ways of his father and mother and the ways of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. Essentially what we're told is Ahaziah is just continuing the family legacy. He's continuing in the ways that he was reared, that he was trained, that he was grown up in, the ways of worshiping Baal, we're told, which is a false god among other gods. He probably had priests serving uh, that were not authorized by God and serving, making sacrifices all over Israel to these false gods rather than to the one true God. And so he was perpetuating the pattern of sin in his family line, and it was causing destruction in his own life. He's stuck in idolatry and rebellion. And this is common. It's common that families perpetuate generation after generation of sin. And often the same sin generation to generation. 
For instance, you can look through the book of Genesis and see this clearly in a variety of ways, but one lens is when you look at the great patriarchs, the great fathers of the faith, you see this incredible and painful pattern of favoritism. We're told that Abraham actually preferred Ishmael and longed for him to be blessed over Isaac. And eventually he finally caves and accepts Isaac and then abandons and sends away Ishmael. Isaac prefers Esau over Jacob. Jacob prefers Joseph over all of his other sons. And in every generation, there is major conflict between the siblings desperate for parental attention. I mean, sounds a lot like humanity hasn't changed. And there's lots of other examples we could point to, but this is really sufficient to help us begin to reflect on what are the sins of the generations of your family? Because we are all shaped deeply by our family of origin. You know, there's lots of debate over time about nurture versus nature in the psychological field. And I think at the end of the day, in some ways, it doesn't really matter because you are where you are and it is completely shaped by your past, by your family. And you're shaped by the blessings and the joy and the beauty of your family. I just want to acknowledge that, that there's lots to be grateful for. There's lots to celebrate from all of our families. And in our area, particularly living here in Ocean County, this part of the world, family is a high, high value. It's one of the beauties of living in this area. It's actually one of the major appeals of why people live in this area is because there are generations of family in many cases living right here. But because it is such a high value, there is also a huge temptation to tiptoe around speaking honestly about how we've been shaped also by family dysfunction and sin, not just the blessings. You know, and we don't want to rock the boat and we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And this morning, it's not about either of those things. But I'm, I think we're being invited to reflect honestly on how our families have shaped us and how some of the things that you find yourself stuck in today may in fact come from your family of origin. We're all shaped through the explicit commands and rules of our families. Every family has rules. I can imagine Ahaziah had rules. He was probably directly told by his father to go out and make sacrifices to these gods. Each of us has family rules. Some of those rules were very practical, right? They had to do with curfews or had to do with when homework needed to get done before you were allowed to do certain things or the amount of screen time that you're allowed to have. Other explicit rules are more about expectations of how, you know, we live out the family values, Maybe you had the explicit command to don't embarrass the family. Or maybe this one, you know, we don't talk about family problems outside the house. We don't talk about them inside the house either, but we definitely don't talk about them outside the house, right? And this is patterns that come from the explicit commands, and we're shaped by those. But, but I think we're more shaped by the implicit expectations and the day-to-day -day experience of living within the family even more than we are by the explicit commands. Because modeling is deeply formative. And you know this if you were anyone who said at one point in your life, I am never going to do this or that like my mother or father. And then woke up in the mirror one day and realized, oh my gosh, I am my mother or my father. 
That's the power of modeling because you made a choice not to be that way and yet you ended up being exactly like it. And so, so much is modeled in our families. We learn about communication in our families. Was the pattern in your family one of passive aggressiveness and sarcasm rather than honesty, direct communication? We can learn about money. You might have learned that money is the source of real security, so you better go get as much of it as you possibly can. We all learn about conflict in our families of origin. Maybe you learned to avoid it at all costs, or you may have grown up in an environment where you learned that loud, angry, frequent, and unresolved conflict is just the norm. And we all carry these things into our next relationships, and we'll function just instinctively out of what's been formed in us. You may have walked away being shaped in such a way that you heard the message, sadness is weakness, or that, you know what, your feelings aren't really that important, so just keep them to yourself. What are the patterns and expectations from your family? The values that were held up the most, the spoken and unspoken values. I think part of what makes some movies and stories great is how relatable the characters are. Especially when you get into things like family dynamics and how that then shapes all of the characters. One of the movies that my family has watched a bunch in recent history is the movie Encanto. A Disney movie about the Madrigal family where they're miraculously, the family is given these supernatural gifts and they use their gifts to benefit the little village that they live near. And everybody's got a gift except Mirabelle. Mirabelle doesn't have a supernatural ability. And she carries this huge burden and this feeling of inadequacy. She desperately longs to have a gift that she too could finally be special, but she also then carries the burden of having to put on a face that everything's a-okay, and so she's the one walking around constantly with a smile on. Nothing's the matter. Everything's okay because the family has to be okay. Meanwhile, her, her sisters are carrying their own baggage. One of her sisters, Louisa, has supernatural human strength, but she is constantly feeling the pressure to literally carry the family's burdens and is terrified that she's not gonna be strong enough to handle it when push finally comes to shove. Her other sister, Isabella, has this incredible gift of creating beauty through making flowers bloom. And she carries the pressure to be perfect all the times, to project an image of perfection and beauty, no matter what's really going on inside of herself. And all of this is being pushed by the generations. It's driven from the top by Grandma Alma. She's the one behind the scenes, pushing everyone to keep it all together because she's so terrified that they won't be worthy of the miracle and the gifts that they've been given. And so they've got to all be perfect. And so generation to generation to generation is experiencing the baggage, the burden, and the dysfunction of the family expectations. And these may not be the exact examples from your family, but can you see the threads through your own family journey? I mean, if you haven't taken the time to do so, I would so encourage you to consider it. The, the book that we're reading as a part of this series, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, it's written by Peter Scazzaro, and in it, he recommends uh, using a tool called the genogram. 
And genogram is essentially a family map or a family tree where you go back a few generations and not just to see you know, who begat who, but to understand what were the patterns of interaction. What are the temperaments and the personalities? What were the expectations that were carried? What was the fallout generation to generation? And it is truly remarkable what you will find. I remember doing it the first time and being a little bit overwhelmed. Because one of the things you'll realize is that the things that you experienced were not just isolated to how your parents and your immediate family home functioned. You're going to see generation to generation to generation how these are patterns and that it's all sin through the generations and we're all caught up in it. In your own family story, you might find things like addiction, hidden or not. You might find things like mental health challenges and you might find a pattern of shame and cover up and secrecy or you might find a a push to try to be open and to get help. You might find patterns of broken relationships, broken marriages through divorce or dysfunction or sibling rivalries, or you might find abandonment because of death or because of choice. And all of these patterns of the generations funnel down to you where you live every day. And when we realize this, man, so often the temptation is to get away from the family Many have tried to uproot and move away from the family or just cut the family off. But the problem is we've already been formed by our family. And so the grass isn't greener. (laughs) It isn't going to be better because you're carrying all of the past with you wherever you are, whether you're aware of it or not. It's kind of like if everybody in your house had the flu, and you, you, you know, are with them and you realize everybody's got the flu and you've got the flu, but you're not symptomatic yet. But you think, you know what? Here's the thing. I'm going to just get away from everybody so that I don't get the flu. And you leave, but the problem is you leave and you're carrying the virus with you. You've already got it. See, we can try to get away from our family of origin, but we are already carrying the generations of sin with us that have already shaped us and formed us everywhere we go. And so the question becomes, if we can't get away, with it, get away from it, what do we do? And I think the beginnings of getting unstuck as this whole series has continued to try to point out for us is about naming the reality. Naming the patterns of sin in our family and then confessing it. To confess means really just to agree with God. See, God already knows, doesn't he? And so when we confess, we're agreeing with God about the state of our lives, about our rebellion, about our brokenness, about our sin. And in America, when we think about confession, we so frequently think about my sin. It's about my individual sin, what I did or I didn't do. But throughout the scripture in the Old and New Testament, there is a very different approach. There is is this constant burden to express the sin of the community as if it's my own. To confess it because I am a part of this web of relationships that is this community. I am not immune from it. I am caught up in it. And so it is mine as much as it is yours. And so for us to get unstuck is to begin to confess the generations of sin in our family as if it's our own. And most likely it is. And then to pray 
that ours could be the last generation to perpetuate this pattern. That this pattern can end and break with us. My sisters and I have been on this journey to do this. When we looked through our family history, what we saw was a pattern of broken marriages, divorce and dysfunction, you know, lack of communication, no intimacy. We talked about it and we named it, we confessed it, and we have prayed that we could get away from this pattern from our family legacy. And the invitation to us is to name how we've been shaped, the reality of our sin, to confess it and pray. But what do we do next? And I think the question, that's such an important question. Because what we do next could be the difference between getting unstuck and getting stuck, but perhaps getting stuck in a different way. Because one of the ways when we start looking at family legacy that people get stuck is that they get stuck in a pattern of blame. On one hand, the blame of it's, it's all my parents' fault. My life is a mess. My parents did this to me. And look for every reason and every way that our parents messed up. And the problem is this gets us stuck just in a, a cycle of blame, but also in a pattern of victimization as if, you know, this has already happened to me. There is no hope. There's nothing I can do about it. And so I'm just stuck here. It can never change. Others get stuck in, in the blame of themselves, <laughs> taking way too much responsibility for the dysfunction and the sin of your family history. As a matter of fact, for some, this was part of the pattern of sin that you grew up in, especially if you grew up in a home where substance abuse was a problem because you learned early on that you were the problem, that it's your fault. It's your fault that dad flew off the handle. And so you learned early on to read the situation, to walk into a room and figure out, is it a good day or a bad day? And then adjust your pattern of behavior accordingly because you had to fix the problem. And so you internalize this message and you're stuck in a pattern of you're the problem, it's your fault, and you better fix it. And you can do this with your whole generations of sin as if you're the one who's going to fix it anyway. We can't fix it. None of us can fix the, the pattern of generations. I would, and this is part of my frustration. I want to. And, and I, I have, throughout my life, at different times, I've tried to do the, the work, and I've tried to dig in, and I've tried at different times to take responsibility, and I'm going to do this, but I can't do This is about heart surgery, about soul transformation, and that's beyond our pay grade. And so the blame game doesn't help us. And so what do we do? I think what we, we do is we take the, the advice of Dr. Jonas Webb who says this, remove blame from the equation. Instead, focus upon understanding your parents' effects upon you and taking accountability for your own decisions, mistakes, and choices. Remove blame from the equation. Instead, focus on your responsibility. Right? Ahaziah was raised in the family that he was raised in. It wasn't his fault that he was raised there. It wasn't his fault that his his parents were worshiping these other gods, he, but he was shaped deeply by being raised in that environment, but he wasn't trapped in it. 
right? He still had choices that he could make. He still had responsibility and possibility. Remember, he became king. When you're king, you get to call the shots, right? He was the sovereign. So he didn't have to continue down that road. He could have chosen something different. He had responsibility. He had power. He had agency. He could have chosen, rather than to perpetuate the generations of sin, he could have chosen repentance and a new path. And it's not your fault. It's not your fault for the generations of sin in your family. And it is your responsibility for what you're going to do now. How are you going to respond? As you name it and you confess and you pray, I hope you'll respond with hope. A hope that your past does not define you. This is part of what Paul was getting at in the Ephesians 5 reading that we had earlier. He's encouraging the church in Ephesus about how they can live now, now that they've come to faith in Jesus Christ. Having come out of a past full of sin and rebellion and worship of other gods, how can they live now, today? And he's encouraging them to live into a new future for them, a new pattern, a new way of being as a part of a different family. He says, you used to be darkness, he says to them, but now you are light in the Lord. Your identity used to be wrapped up in the patterns of darkness and sin that you were raised in, but now you are light and beauty and hope and joy in the Lord. You are children of the light. You have been adopted by the heavenly father, the good father. Your family of origin was imperfect and perpetuated sin into your life, but you have a good and perfect heavenly father that loves you perfectly in every way. And so we are invited to put off the old ways of that old pattern of being and to learn, Paul says, what it is that pleases the Lord, to learn the new way of being. It doesn't happen because we flip a switch and we decide we want to. We need to learn to live into it so that we can live as those who are wise, not those who are unwise. We can live as those who are free from the bondage and the chains, but not so that you can prove to be lovable Because, man, that's the old patterns and old family messages, isn't it? That pattern that says, if you obey, if you're a good enough one, then then you'll be patted on the head, you'll be rewarded, you'll you'll receive affection. But no, learn what it is to please the Lord, not so that he will love you, but because he already loves you. And if he loves you, isn't it our delight to simply please him? And he will be pleased as you no longer are bound by the old way and the old pattern and the sins of the generations. And as you find the new way, the new pattern that looks more like his true son, Jesus. But this is difficult work. It's hard. And it's going to be very difficult to do this work on your own. And I know some learned early from your family of origin that, man, you better take all the responsibility, this rugged individualism. It's probably not going to work to get free from this past because you're going to need outside input. You're going to need some objective eyes. And in some cases, you may in fact need the help of someone who is trained who has the skills and the technical expertise to help you navigate the challenges of your past and your family of origin. Because I know some of your stories and they are fraught with pain that is just beyond what you ever should have had to endure. 
And so if you need somebody to talk with like that, I would love to connect you. We've got referrals that we can make to some really skilled therapists and counselors who might help you navigate that journey, might help you walk through your genogram to understand it better and also to help you take steps to become unstuck. Because friends, there is hope for you. There is hope for me. We are not defined and bound by the heritage of the generations. We are defined by the new identity as children of the light in Jesus Christ. So live in that light. Live and bask in his love as you name and confess, as you pray for a new way forward and you learn the ways of our heavenly father. There's freedom and you can be unstuck from the past. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I acknowledge that this is a very challenging and heavy topic because it affects each and every one of us. We live in a broken and sinful world and in broken and sinful families that are also beautiful and each one created in your image. And so, Lord, will you give us the courage, the eyes to see, the discernment to name the patterns of sin of the generations so that we can be the generation that breaks free through the power of Jesus Christ, that breaks free from the bondage, from just automatically doing what has been done before and instead learning a new way, a new path forward. Lord God, I pray as we venture into this that you would bring healing to the deep wounds that I know some carry. That you would bind the broken hearts. That you would also lead us with conviction of sin and with hope that there is a new way to be as your children, children of the light, no longer bound by the darkness. It's in the name of Jesus that we trust and we pray. Amen.